1: Re enacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got, a,
0: got an interesting email from someone who said, Carol, I want to be anonymous. I don't feel comfortable being on the show, but I want to ask you is it possible to get better? I have been struggling with sex addiction for 17 years and I am not sure that I will overcome this epidemic, this disorder. You know, I had to say to him, I emailed him back and I said, are you following your recovery tools? Because you are not strong enough to make it on your own. You have got to be following the recovery tools. And I could tell he hadn't listened much to the show because he didn't seem to even know what those recovery tools were. And I said, you know, the recovery tools are simple. And when you work them, they work. And they are that you get yourself involved in some sort of support group. You cannot do this on your own. I recommend 12-step groups, I really don't care which one you're in. You can be in SAA, Sex Addicts Anonymous, SA, Sexaholics Anonymous. You can be in Recovery Nation, an online group. You can be in um, Smart Recovery, which is more cognitive behavioral. You can be in Every Man's Battle, which is more uh, spiritual and from a religious standpoint. But when you do that, you have to be able to Read the literature. You need to have a sponsor or a mentor. You need to have a whole list of fellowship people that you can call so that you can, in crisis, access somebody else, or when they're in crisis, they can access you. And you have to do the work behind the program. If you're in a 12-step group, you've got to do the 12 steps. If you're in Smart Recovery, you've got to do their journal. If you are in every man's battle, you've got to do their homework. You have got to do the work. If you go to the meetings and you don't do the work, you're not going to get better. And then my other five very important recovery tools are that you go to a certified sexual addiction therapist or somebody who has been educated by SASH S-A-S-H, the Sexual Advancement for Sexual Health. You can do that. It's the society that helps you to understand sexual health and sexual addiction. Okay, that's SASH. That. Um, are you in a therapy group for sex addicts? If you're in a men's group, that ain't going to help. I mean, it would be a great tool for you if you're in a men's group, but not for sexual addiction. Are you doing recovery reading other than the book that you're perhaps involved with in your 12-step following? Are you reading any kind of inspirational or spiritual books? Do you pray, meditate, or journal? Do you have... Things on your computer and phone that prevents you from immediately accessing porn, immediately accessing websites. They may not be absolutely preventive, but it gives you time for pause. It gives you time to think about what you can do as opposed to act out. I'm a big endorser of that. So i got to ask you, do you have those recovery tools ready? You know, are you using all ten of those tools? And for this person, when he wrote back and he didn't even know what the tools were, he said no. He had been to a few meetings. No, he didn't have a sponsor. No, he had never gotten a book. No, he didn't even know what a CSAT was a certified sexual addiction therapist. And so I knew, if I can be so bold, that this person was doing a half-assed job of recovery. And he's right. Seven years, 17 years, 27 years, it doesn't matter. It will never stick until he deals with all the tools and creates the committee to support him. Because we know the connection is the antidote for sexual addiction. And he's got to connect to other people that have had this problem to exponentially improve his chances of doing better. And so I appreciated that he listened to the show. I suspect he doesn't listen with regularity or he would have known about my tools but maybe he just started. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And now I'm going to ask him to work it because when you work it, it works. But you 100% have to work it. Now, if you're listening to tonight's show, you know that I am super excited to have a woman on who I have seen be a keynote speaker twice for my sexual addiction organization. And she is, she's a powerhouse. Uh, Dr. Gail Dines is a professor of sociology and women's studies at Wheelock College in Boston. And I got to tell you, she has made it her mission to protect children from porn. She has more facts. She has more information about what pornography does to the brain. And she's going to be talking to us about her latest book, Pornland, How Porn Has Hijacked Our Sexuality. And this book has been translated into five languages. She's the founding president of NGO, Culture Reframes, That's the name of her organization. And she's dedicated to building resilience and resistance in children and youth the harms of a hypersexualized and pornified society. Her organization, Culturally Reframe, developed cutting edge educational programs that promote healthy development, relationships, and sexuality. And I got to tell you, if you don't have children, I want you to listen to this show anyway because it will explain your own compulsion, your own perversion, your own. Um, addiction to pornography and to all the gateways that that opens up. You just won't believe this woman. So please, 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 you trust me. Stay on this line. I want you to hear what Dr. Gail Dines says. She is absolutely one of the leading anti-porn scholars and activists in the world. And she's been on MSNBC, CNN, BBC, CBC, National Public Radio, the New York Times, Times Newsweek, and here she is on Sex Help with Carol the Coach. I mean, she has made it her mission to educate people about the dangers of pornography. And you've heard me say it before. As a CSAT, as a certified sexual addiction therapist, I am supposed to be porn neutral. And I get that, because there are people that can look at porn and it never becomes compulsive and it doesn't become a problem. But I am not crack neutral. I am not cocaine neutral. I am not meth neutral because what I know is it can hijack the brain and devastate lives. And that's what I believe porn can do. And so even though I'm not representing my organization and staying porn neutral, I am saying I did not believe in porn. I used to think it was okay. If somebody was interested in porn and it didn't devastate their life, good for them. But now I say we can't take a chance. It objectifies women. You know, you're going to find out tonight that our kids, our teenagers, our college students are not only not looking at the porn you looked at, they are looking at porn that's violent, that has gang banging in it, that has asphyxiation in it. They are looking at porn that promotes um, looking at women in a way where they are in such a subservient position that they don't have an identity. And this is what our kids are looking at. I mean, just think about this, you guys. If you're 9, 10, 11, 14, 18, and you're seeing gangbanging and rape as pornography, what is that doing to your brain at that age? What is it doing to my brain? But really, we have to protect kids, and that's what porn is getting into, and that makes sense. You and I know that sexual addiction escalates. It gets worse. In its intensity and frequency, if you are a sex addict and you're looking at porn, you go for bigger and better and more novel and more um, intriguing pornography, that really encapsulates what you've never seen or experienced before. It's the same for kids. And what we're really finding out is that when a child has seen seven, eight, nine years of pornography, they may not be able to have a relationship with a female. Now, I'm, I'm talking like it's only boys that look at porn. And I know, and Dr. Dines knows, Girls are looking at porn too. They're looking at it with their boyfriends. They're looking at it with their girlfriends. Um, It has opened up so many sexuality avenues that it really makes it hard to discern where is the motion, where is the commitment, where is the love behind sexuality, which we all know sexuality in this society was meant to do. It was meant to be a part of love. But even if it isn't, I was getting ready to tell you that young men, 18, 19, 22, 28, are not even able to have sex with a female because they have trained their brain to only want what they've seen on their laptops or their phones. And so truly, they stay in isolation because they go out with a girl. They try to emulate what they've seen. They can't get an erection. They can't have an orgasm. They're humiliated. They're embarrassed. And so what do they do? They stop seeing females. They stop having girlfriends. And they stay in their room and they look at more porn. So it's an auto exacerbating condition. And so you know, as if I wasn't worried enough about people being too technologically savvy and not connecting with each other face-to-face, now I'm seeing in my practice plenty of 18, 20, 22, 25-year-olds that can't have sex in a normal relationship because they've trained their brain only to like pornography. And that's why we have Dr. Gail Dines on the show. She's going to be talking about what's this society's like to be pornified and she's an advocate for children and so I really welcome Dr. Gail Dines to Sex Help with Carol the Coach Dr. Dines how are you this morning
2: I'm how fine how are you doing I
0: am doing well and I'm just so thrilled to have you on because clearly you are the spokesperson for anti-pornography I mean you really advocate for kids, and you
2: want to abolish pornography access to kids. Do you not? Absolutely. And I'm sure many of your listeners would agree that basically nobody under 18 should be accessing mainstream hardcore porn. I mean, it's very hard to make an argument as why children should be looking at porn. Well,
0: yes, and you see porn as a public health crisis. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: The Yes. What this means is that when you sort of get into the realm of public health, you recognize a few major factors. First of all, it's not an individual problem and it can't be solved by the individual. And what we argue is that we live in a culture that is so pornified that access to porn is so easy because it's now affordable, accessible and anonymous that we have to have a sort of more structural macro approach to dealing with this from education right through to legislation. It's the same thing as pollution you cannot ask parents to protect their kids from polluted air it's a public health issue which means that it goes beyond the individual parent to take responsibility for keeping their kids away from polluted air well i would argue the same thing with pornography you cannot ask parents alone to carry the weight of keeping their kids away from this toxic culture
0: Yes, absolutely, and I'm so glad that you have discussed that because parents do feel responsible and they don't know what to do, and certainly they can monitor part of what their child looks at on their phone or on their laptop, but this pornified culture um, is much more sophisticated than your average average adult.
2: Yeah, and really parents... I've really lost control given the way that especially cell phones have now become the norm, you know, around middle school kids start getting cell phones and if you had any control you know, pre-cell phone over a computer. You know, parents would say to me, what can I do? And I'd say, you put the computer in the middle of the uh, living room, no computers in bedrooms. You can't do that with cell phones anymore. Cell phones are the best way to deliver porn to kids. And, by the way, it's no accident that a lot of money for the R&D development of the cell phone came from the porn industry.
0: Well, absolutely, and that's certainly where we got most of our computer um Progress early in the 90s and mid 90s and late 90s was because it wasn't Bill Gates behind computer development, it was the porn industry.
2: Yeah, the porn industry um, has driven the technology. And um, they've put a ton of money into it. And also, they understand that, again, the more anonymous you make pornography, the more likely you're going to have porn users. So they have a real vested interest in developing, first, the VCR. And some of your listeners might be old enough to remember the fight between Betamax and VHS. Do you remember those very big video uh, that you used to have um, and then um, VHS won out and Betamax disappeared? Well, the reason for that was that BetterMax wouldn't ca- pornography. So when you look at the history of technology, you really see that it's not just that technology drives pornography, it's that the porn industry drives technology as well. It's a symbiotic relationship.
0: Well, absolutely. And again, you said that the porn industry is anonymous, it's affordable, and it is accessible for our kids at any juncture. And so What does the research show in terms of porn as a public health crisis?
2: Well, we have now over 40 years of empirical research coming from multiple disciplines, psychology, sociology, um, communication studies, and recently, more recently, neuroscience. And what we know is that the younger boys get to porn, the more likely they are to have, lose capacity for intimacy, connection, the more likely they are to aggress against a girl, the more likely they are to have risky sexual behavior, not use condoms, um, endorse rape myths, and now what we're seeing is an incredible increase in erectile dysfunction, porn addiction and this is all in peer-reviewed journals and what's really interesting is there's still those people out there i was just recently on a show on the bbc and you've got the porn industry arguing there's no research there is no question that the weight of the research is showing without doubt that pornography is having an incredible detrimental effect on boys and and girls as well by the way because girls are now an increasing percentage of porn users so um anyone who argues there's no research simply is not aware of the research, either doesn't know it, or is willfully disregarding the research.
0: Well, absolutely, and yet that is the standard answer. I know that when sexual addiction was not put in the DSM-5 this time, they said there was not enough research to substantiate that it was a compulsion, an addiction. And there was plenty of research, but unfortunately, so many of um, the porn industry lobbying groups Combat what the normal population wants for their kids and even for their families.
2: Well, I think it's really interesting to bring up the lobbying groups. A lot of people actually don't get the degree to which the porn industry, which is a a multi-billion-dollar-a-year industry, is one of the most sophisticated above-ground industries we have that is completely deregulated. They have their lobbying arm is called the Free Speech Coalition. And it is very, very powerful. And it, it has a role in changing legislation, has a role in shifting the way that people think. I mean, we have to see this like, for example, you know, 40, 50 years ago with the tobacco industry, the way in which they pushed out junk research, the way in which they pushed out so-called scientists arguing that there was no research. We're at that stage now. But, you know, there's, there's a shift. And I can see the shift because people are beginning to talk about this, people who never used to talk about this. I, two years ago, gave the keynote at the American Academy of Pediatrics thousands of pediatricians, that wouldn't have happened, I would say, five years ago. It would not have been on the agenda of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And I recently also spoke at a CDC conference. It would not have been on their agenda as well. So I think that for all the lobbying that the porn industry is doing, there is now the beginnings of an understanding. And I would say we're sort of on the precipice. We're where we were with domestic violence. It used to be you know, the woman down the road had a black eye, broken arm, but You didn't get involved. It was a private issue. And then it exploded into a public health issue. I think we are very close to pornography exploding into a public health issue. Now, it has already in Europe. There is incredible legislation that has been written in the U.K. I actually live in the United States and have for 30 years. But I was recently in the U.K. and in Sweden um, working with some of the people who have crafted this uh, legislation. And what it is, it is really going to have an impact on how children access pornography. The new legislation, which is called the Digital e- Economy Act, is really about age verification. And what's happens is now everyone who goes on a porn site with a UK um, registered uh, um, address has to have a third party verifier. Show that they are over eighteen, you have to upload that digital certificate, and only then are you allowed on the porn set on the porn sorry on the porn um, site now, should the porn site be in violation? and not hold those digital certificates and not check, they will be punished, and the punishments will be very severe. And if they're in violation, I think it's two to three times, then they will be dropped at the Internet provider level, and all the payment systems that serve that um, website will be dropped from them. So they will basically disappear.
0: Well, it's nice to know that there are those safeguards in other countries. What do you think is preventing those safeguards from occurring here?
2: Well, the porn industry is focused. It's basically located in this country, which means that's where its real power is. Even though the the company that actually controls most of the porn is based in Luxembourg with offices in uh, Montreal, traditionally the porn industry has been centered in L.A. And I think they have a lot of political power, social power, legal power, economic power. And also we haven't had the same governmental interest in this. What they did in the UK before they brought in this um, Age Verification Act is they commissioned lots of studies and they were discussed in newspapers, on radio shows, because you can't really impose a law on people. You have to explain why you need certain laws. And so what these studies did a few years ago was begin the conversation in the UK about the harms of pornography on children. And then when they brought in the Age Verification Protocol the public understood why this was so important to do and had made basically made a commitment that as a country we're going to protect our kids from pornography now what sweden is watching to see what happens in the uk poland norway iceland i think this is going to sweep across europe once they see how it's working in the uk in the united states i think we're Uh, ways from that and this is why we started Culture Reframed, that's ED on the end and if anyone's interested they can go to culturereframed.org and we define pornography as the public health crisis of the digital age because at this moment we're still in the process of raising awareness as to the harms of pornography and the other thing we're doing is educating the public, specifically our first program is geared towards parents of tweens and it's online and it's free 13 modules, and it gives you the skills and the knowledge and the confidence to have those very important conversations with your tween. That's age 9 to 12. And the reason we started with the first tweens program is because we said if you don't talk to your kid about porn then you can be sure the porn industry will. So we wanted to do prevention instead of mop-up because by the teen years, most boys have used porn on a somewhat regular basis. So we decided to go the education route because we're located in the US And it's got an incredible amount of traction. Our parents' program, we were just in Sweden to launch it there. Other countries want to translate it. It is the only program of its kind that really explains to parents the social, emotional, and cognitive harms of pornography, walks them through how to have the conversations, explains ways in which Um, You have conversations that are not shaming or blaming of the kid because you need to see boys as victims of the porn industry. The porn industry is after that demographic. And the boy, when he's found with porn, if a parent walks in and finds their son using porn on the phone or whatever, you know, just the shame that he feels, utter shame. And we don't want to add to that. So we've given a lot of um, indicators of how you have these conversations. And we've even scripted out 12 conversations you can have around porn, sexting, consent, because originally we were, we were, when we were doing the conversations, we employed a parent expert, and we were just going to do bullet points. And I was in L.A. last year speaking to about 1,500 parents at different venues. And when I said we were going to do bullet points for the conversations, they all kind of leapt out of their seats and said, no bullet points, script it out, tell us what to say word for word. So we actually went back to our parent educator and said, get rid of the bullet points, parents want it scripting out. Now, obviously, you can't say everything that's in the scripted out conversation, but it will give you a lot of ways of opening up the conversation and really ways in which you can have conversations instead of top-down lectures from the parents.
0: You know, it is so interesting that you're talking about this because I am a mental health therapist of 35 years, and I've been a sex addiction therapist for 11. And I initially got my life coaching degree after I got my mental health degree and I'll tell you what people said, "What? Well, how did you get into sexual addiction? I mean that just seems so dark." And I said, "I was getting calls from administrators in schools and kids were having oral sex on the bus. It's the perfect environment. Those seats are really high, they can crouch down, have oral sex, and the administrators were saying, Carol, I worked in the school. And they were like, Carol, what do we do about this? And I said, Well, you know, here's what I believe we can do. And then he, and then they said, Well, it's just not the kids that are participating in the act of oral sex. It's all the kids that are videotaping and sending mm-hmm. these videotapes and making it go viral. You know, they are they're exposing thousands of other kids in the district and outside of the district to this epidemic. And so that's Absolutely. when I said, okay, I need some help with sexual addiction because these kids, these tweens, because they were, they were late elementary, early middle school or um, high school. And so what what we decided to do was to educate the parents on what they could do to at least save some of their children's issues and how to lobby for change within Congress. And I know that you have really worked hard at exposing Congress to this epidemic. Tell us what you've been doing.
2: Well, um, I've given testimony a number of times. We've gone to see different politicians. I have to admit, we haven't gotten much traction, The the government here does not seem interested. And, And really, at the moment, the government is not really functioning like a government. So, I mean, I don't think that's really the way to go. And also what's interesting, the irony, is many of these boys who are into porn are not addicted to sex. Because they can't have sex. They're actually, I think the best uh, person I heard was Gabe Deem, who runs a site called Reboot Nation, who was a porn addict from a young age, and he's now recovering um, his porn addiction. He said, I was never addicted to sex. I was addicted to pixels. They didn't want sex, Mm -hmm. sex. Because the pornography they see, the mainstream pornography, and this is what a lot of people don't get, the mainstream free porn that the average 11-year-old will get when he puts porn into Google is so hardcore that when he actually sort of matures and wants sex, he doesn't want intimate connected sex. He wants porn sex and most of the girls and women he's with really at this point will not have porn sex. So we also have to think about it as a driver of demand to trafficked and prostituted women because those are the women who have no choice but to say yes. But these guys are not the same as sex addicts. What's interesting as well is when you compare sex addicts to porn addicts, a lot of sex addicts have the you know, aces, the adverse childhood experiences. A lot of porn addicts do not have that. The younger they are, the less likely they are to have the adverse childhood experiences that lead to sex addiction.
0: Well, and I know that this is going to be a tough conversation to have right now, but explain to our listening audience the kind of porn that our, our tweens and our high schoolers are looking at on a regular basis.
2: Okay, and we should probably put a warning that no kids should be listening to this, Um, although they've seen it. So because I mean it 's going to be a shock, so first of all, if you where, where most of people get their men um, they 're still the majority of users get their porn from is you know Pornhub, uh, you porn etc so you go onto these sites they 're all free because they try to monetize the traffic, but originally, you can get onto free porn, and you can see lots of it and there 's often eighty five categories called uh, interracial porn, teen porn big tit porn, black porn, you name it. Now you can click on any of those categories, but it doesn't really matter what you click on because you will see the same sex acts across all the categories. So what you will see, without a doubt, is you will see women being choked with a penis to the point that they can't breathe. I've I've seen women literally with their eyes rolling back. The penis is so far down their throat that it activates the gag reflex. And these women are choking, literally choking. their Their tears are just pouring down their face as they're watching this. So this is a standard act. The second thing you'll see is very, very rough anal sex. We're talking about pounding anal sex. And we know, for example, that one of the biggest problems for women who work in the porn industry is having uh, rectal prolapses, which is why the average woman can only last about three months in the porn industry. So really pounding anal sex. Another um, very popular sex act, well, I don't, it's hard to call it a sex act, is ATM. That stands for ass to mouth, which is where the penis goes into her anus and then her mouth without washing. So the average porn scene that an 11-year-old boy who's putting porn into Google and he's probably looking for breasts or maybe some softcore porn, what he is catapulted into is a world of sexual torture and violence. It is usually one woman with three men. She's being orally, anally, vaginally penetrated, choked with a penis, slapped with a penis. They're spitting in her face, calling her every name imaginable, slut, whore, etc. And then the end scene is all three men ejaculating on her to the point that she cannot open her eyes. And um, in the porn industry in L.A., there is actually an antibiotic-resistant strain of gonorrhea of the eye going round. Because there's so much ejaculate going into the eye. So, um, and just think about that 11 year old boy. He never had sex. He had no idea what he was going to get. He did not imagine this. This is not what he's looking for. And then what's interesting is when you go into these and you read what they actually say next to these images, they'll say, Are you man enough for this? We're giving you what you want. So they're actually. of socializing this 11-year-old boy into thinking that indeed this is the porn he wants, that this is what he's looking for. So in his stomach, in this 11-year-old boy's stomach, is a toxic stew of arousal, shame, self-loathing, and fear. And who is he going to speak to about it? Who is he going to say... You know, you're know, you not going to believe what I've just seen because number one, he doesn't have the words and number two, what we know from trauma research is one of the first things trauma does is it, it basically lowers your capacity to give a coherent verbal account of what's happened to you. So I would argue that the porn industry is traumatizing our boys which we know through trauma if you do not deal with trauma, you reenact um, compulsively, which means they're going to keep going back to the porn. So they've actually built in to their business model, trauma, as a way to turn these boys into addicts. This is not accidental. These are extremely smart businessmen with MBAs from the top universities. This is, forget this mom-and-pop store, forget these you know, men in dirty raincoats going into porn shops. This is not what the porn industry is anymore. They are leaders in Internet technology. They are leaders in um, social media, they are literally new frontier breakers. And it's really important to understand this and how the industry has shifted from what many of your listeners might have grown up with, which was Playboy, Penthouse, and Hustler, which I never thought I'd live to say this, but I'm kind of nostalgic for those days. As terrible as Playboy, Penthouse, and Hustler were, as objectifying and as misogynist as they were, they are nothing compared to what's mainstream today. Well, absolutely, and that's one of the
0: things that you talk about is that there is no way for the intensity and frequency to increase with Playboy, Hustler, blah, 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 as it does with Internet porn. And so I want to ask you, you've talked about some of the social and emotional issues, harms of porn. How, what kind of cognitive harm does it cause kids to be witnessing this kind of porn
2: Well, what we're finding is they're less able to concentrate on their academic work. Um, They've got less um, capacity to uh, just concentrate on anything in general. They become more and more addicted to the highs of porn. So I'll give you an example. There was a study done by Valerie Boone at Cambridge University, and she was looking at um, the dopamine receptors of um, porn addicts Heroin addicts, cocaine addicts, and methamphetamine addicts, and what she found when she did MRIs on the brain was that porn releases more dopamine than cocaine than heroin it is on the same level as methamphetamine, so you 're giving porn and these boys a meth hit every time they go on to porn. Just think of the power of that, and it 's linked to orgasm because unlike any other sort of media genre, this is about a, a real full body blow. Of orgasm as well, and the orgasm helps cement cognitively the memories of porn and going back, and they keep going back and back and back. So the neuroscience research now is really beginning to fill in some of the kind of holes that we had around addiction, habituation, what was happening to these boys. And we're in the early days of this, but there's no question that porn is addictive. I have worked with many, many young men who are addicted to porn. When I go and give lectures in colleges, and sometimes there's 500 students, by the end of the lecture, I've got the boys on one side lining up, and the girls on the other, and the boys are crying, begging me to help them get off porn, and the girls are crying, saying, now I know I've been raped, over and over again. I mean, just what you see and listen to if you talk to young people, and this is what makes me so angry when I hear people deny this, because I, you know, as a co- when I was a college professor, I have just um, stepped down to run my nonprofit. profit but I was a college professor for 32 years. When you spend time with young people, when you have 12 weeks, 14 weeks for a course, and you really dig deep, you really hear the life of what is going on for this generation. And they're an experimental generation because we've never before brought up Kids without such access to hardcore porn, and parents from an experimental generation they 've never had to parent under these conditions before, so it 's really important to listen to the experiences of young people and i 've increasingly started speaking in high schools and the stories you get in high schools about what their life is like. And just what it's like to live in this porn culture and the expectations on the girls and the boys, they're often less likely to talk, but the girls are just, they have just had it. I mean, they are so sick and tired of this porn culture. And I often ask these kids, I say, you know, has anyone ever helped you navigate your way through this culture? And they say, no, and we're drowning. We're absolutely drowning.
0: Oh, absolutely. Like you said, so what are the solutions from education and legislation? What can we as uh, parents of children and
2: grandparents of children, what can we do? And what would you advise our educators to do? Okay. that's So let's begin with parents. I would definitely suggest you go to culturereframed.org. Click on our parents program. It's free. You just have to sign up. It's free. And I, I would say before you even think about having a conversation with your kid, go through our parents' program. You can go in for five minutes or five hours. It's interactive, it's compelling, and it was written by a group of experts um, in adolescent psychology, neuroscience, pediatrics, um, parent educator. It is a really great program that has been put together. So that would be what I'd say to parents. And also, by the way, grandparents, because ironically, um, kids often access more porn when they're with their grandparents than with their parents, because the grandparents are further away from understanding the technology. So educate yourself first. And we have built the only program. You know, it was really interesting when we got our first, um, large grant for a donor who said you know go and do something go and build something and we decided we'd build a parents program my first thought was well I will go through the internet and I will find all the best parents programs that educate parents about the harms of porn and how to speak to kids and we'll make ours better and to my shock there was not one single program online that in any way helped walk parents through how to have these conversations or gave them any education about the world of their kids. So we had to build a program which was much like doing a jigsaw puzzle with no picture at the end because nobody's ever done this before. I'm happy to say that um, from our assessment team, we're getting wonderful feedback. Um, Our measurements and assessment shows that we are doing what we think we are doing, which is helping parents talk to kids by giving them the confidence, the knowledge and the skills. Um, What can our educators do? This is really important. Schools have to stop partying like it's the 1990s. We are living in the age of hardcore porn two seconds away. And by the way, it's not just on the porn sites. You can get to porn straight from Instagram. So if any of you out there listening have kids who have Instagram accounts, they should know that the pornographers have basically also hijacked Instagram and are using it to build up fan bases of porn performers. And I got from a porn performer to Pornhub, a porn performers page on Instagram to Pornhub within three seconds. Three seconds it took me by just tapping on. So um wow. absolutely that you get to know what's going on. Um so What schools need to do is they start, they really need to have a robust sexual health and relationships courses. They need to start teaching this in human development, they need to teach it in all across the curriculum, they need to make this absolutely a central part of children's education. Now, I realize that not many are equipped to do this. I would suggest, again, they go to our program because they can certainly use our program to help them. But we have to bring it into the schools. Parents cannot be left alone to deal with this, and the schools have a responsibility to be educating the kids about the harms of pornography. Because if you can do it early, the earlier you get to it, the more... More likely you are to build resilience and resistance in kids to pornography. But I, I have to say, I have struggled, and Culture Reframed has struggled to get into schools because they think that we'll be introducing the kids to pornography, as if these kids have not been using porn for years by the high school level. So what's happened, interestingly, is that we do a lot of work in independent schools. They are open to it, but the public schools are very, very nervous about dealing with this. And what I would say to parents out there is that you need to start organizing to demand that the public schools do relationship and health education because – the best thing for the pornographers, the biggest gift for them was abstinence only. That was like Christmas coming early for the pornographers. Because if you do not give kids sex education, they will go wherever they need to go to find it. And pornography is the, in most, is the largest form of sex today. So I think parents need to organize. Nothing impacts a principal like 10 angry parents walking into their office. Parents, I think, do not realize the power they have to say to the school, we demand that you develop curriculum that helps build resilience and resistance in our kids to pornography and the hypersexualized porn culture in general. So that, in this moment, in this country, is where I suggest we go. I hope that we move into legislation, because it is absolutely ridiculous that the porn industry is the only industry... That is not regulated. I would not be allowed to give out free cigarettes outside of middle school or high school. I would not be allowed to give out free beer. Yet the pornographers can give out free porn in the home, in the bedroom. It is is so bizarre that we have allowed the pornographers to have such control over our children's lives. So what I would say at this moment, we, we really have to start raising consciousness, educate and think about legislation.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense. And again, for our listening audience, if you want more information, Gail Dine's website is culturereframe.org. And that is culture, C-U-L-T-U-R-E-R-E-F-R-A-M-E-D.org. And tell me, why the name Cultured Reframe?
2: Because we want to reframe the culture from one that actually celebrates um, healthy sexuality, sexual equality, um, creative and fun sex. You know, we, want, we are sex positive because we believe that people should be the authors of their own sexuality. The pornographers are the most sex-negative, anti-sex people you'll ever come across. They hate sex. They love money. They hate sex. They, in pornography, men make hate to women. Not love. And what we argue is that we need more intimacy, more connection, more love in this culture. And one of the most important ways you get that is through healthy, fun, and creative sexuality. And that's the absolute opposite of what you're going to get through pornography. Well, that
0: makes a lot of sense. And so, again, we want to reframe the culture so that people understand how this is um, affecting our kids in not only social and emotional, but also cognitive ways. It's impacting their ability to have connection. And I get that this is not the same type of sexual addiction that I talk about in the show because kids aren't having sex. But what it really does is, is stalemates their development so they don't want to
2: connect in other healthy ways. Exactly, it puts boulders in their way, and in a way, I would say that the fact that this has happened is really a mass dereliction of duty on the part of all of us as adults. I mean, those not just those charged with taking care of children, because every single one of us has a stake in the well-being of the next generation. How have we let this happen? Really, I mean, when I go on these porn sites and I'm looking at this, it's almost impossible to believe that you can just put porn into Google and there you go. I mean, we have to take responsibility here to adult up, parent up, and start taking control back from the pornographers into Our children's lives so that they develop an authentic, fun sexuality. They deserve that. And sex is never, as you know, as a sex educator and a sex specialist, sex um, therapist, is that um, sex is never just about sex. It's a whole narrative about how one lives one's life, about connection, about love. It's got so much more to it than just an orgasm. And I think what the pornographers do is reduce sex to its most base ugly level because sex is not ugly, but the pornographers make it ugly and they make it hateful. And I think those of us who care about people having healthy sexuality all need to be anti-porn. Well, you've got
0: my vote on that and I'll tell you what, I mean, clearly we have to rally for our kids. We just cannot allow this kind of situation to occur. The porn industry is just chewing them up and spitting them out. And they've always done that to adults, but we have to advocate for kids. So, again, I would encourage anybody to go to Gail Dine's website, Culture Reframed, where you can take that free online Parent of Tweens program. You said it's eight weeks, Gail?
2: No, no, no. It's um, at your own speed. There's no, you can go in and out as you wish. So, um, and again, it's culturereframe.org. It's all online. Um, It's done at your own pace. You can go in for five minutes, five hours, five days. It's up to you. We've laid it out in a way that is really accessible, easy to use, user-friendly, and also there's parts in it that you can use with your kid. We've embedded a lot of videos that we suggest you watch first, and then maybe you can have, if you think your kid is mature enough, you can sit and watch them with your kid, and these are very good uh, conversation starters, because that's another thing to think about, the conversation starters. We have tips there as well, like, for example, when you're talking to boys about this, never eye-to-eye, You do it in the car or while you're biking or something, but boys don't respond well when they have eye-to-eye contact. And really remember, your kid is going to want to be anywhere else in the world but sitting across from you talking about porn. So that's why we've really given so many sort of ideas and thoughtful ways of how you have these conversations because that kid is going to want to run from that room so quickly. And if they do, let them. Because we say if at first they don't want to have the conversation, fine. Don't force it on them, but say we do need to talk about it within the next two to three days, whatever. You decide when you're ready, and do it. Sometimes it can be done in small doses. Other times it can be done when you're just going past a billboard that's pornographic, hyper just make that as a conversation starter. There were so many ways when I was bringing up my son that I would just point to something that we would just, you know, an everyday thing, discuss it, and then move on. Not become too preachy because, you know, that's the last thing kids want. And also, for those, you know, people who've had kids... Really, you've got – starting early is the best thing because, you know, up to about 9, 10, 11 it they hit, hit puberty and early adolescence, kids really think their parents are great. They think they're smart and then, you know, kind of overnight you become the most stupid person who ever walked the earth. So really try and get in before they decide you're really stupid. Get in in those early years when they res- look, when they, you know, which is a normal thing because, of course, they're individuating from you. But I would say front load. That's what I did as a parent. I front loaded with my son, as did my husband, so that we could have all of these conversations. They were pretty sophisticated conversations. I mean, my son was using words like sexism, misogyny, and patriarchy by the age of six. Wow.
0: Well, I was going to ask you, what You know, I know you're a sociologist, I know you're a professor, but what got you into this specific niche?
2: Well, I have to tell you, when I was like 20, this is not what I thought I would be doing. So it was actually um, a few things came together at the same time. I was writing or doing my Ph.D. in sociology of media. And somebody mentioned um, I was living in Israel at the time, and somebody mentioned that there was a feminist anti uh slideshow from the United States uh, Did I want to go and see it and I was working in a rape crisis center part time and I was translating a lot of the police reports from um Hebrew into English. What I was seeing was that um when they were going to serial rapists home at that time when there was no internet, they were finding like just you know tons and tons of porn so I thought okay I'll go and have a look and that night when I watched that slideshow my life changed I was 22 and I just I couldn't believe what I was seeing and that was like 30 years or 30 odd years ago when again you know it was nothing like it is today but I couldn't believe the violence I couldn't believe that men found that rousing that men made that and I went home and I picked up the phone and I called my PhD advisor and I said I'm changing my dissertation it's going to be on the sociology of pornography and i think i wrote the first ever phd on the sociology of pornography that's what started this i say this this thing got me it just got me. I saw it and it's been my life's work ever since. And I just feel you know, so passionately about this that we have to stop the pornographers from hijacking our culture. It is not fair to parents. It is not fair to children. It's not fair to any of us. And these predators who are out there to maximize their profits on the backs of our kids, I'm sorry, not on my watch. Absolutely not on my watch.
0: Boy, I can appreciate that, and I appreciate your passion. I I was telling our listening audience before you came on the call that you are one of the most passionate speakers I have ever seen. So, If people want to read your book, Pornland, How Porn Has Hijacked Our
2: Sexuality, I'm sure they can get that at Amazon. They can get that at Amazon, but even easier is they can watch my TEDx talk. Just go into YouTube, put Gail Dines TEDx, and there's 13 minutes... Uh, well, all of my life's work condensed to 13 minutes. Also, there's many other videos up there on YouTube of me being interviewed, if you want to watch those. Um, There's videos on culturereframe.org of me, and there's also many other videos we've got up there that people will find very interesting. So um, I would say the TEDx talk is a very good introduction. The book, Paul is. um, how porn has hijacked our sexuality, you can get on Amazon. There's also a um, documentary, a film company made a documentary based on the book called um porn land so you can also stream that um and as as i said there's other people out there as well there's an excellent ted talk by um ran gavrielli who talked about why he stopped using porn and what it was doing to him there's gary wilson's ted talk about porn and the brain um, there's and we've got them all on our website all the best ted talks around this issue Okay, so I'm going to challenge
0: my listening audience. I want you to go to culturalreframe.org. I want you to take that parenting course for tweens. I want you to look at Gail's um, TED Talks because I have to admit, uh, to to decide and determine whether I was going to go to that year's ITAP, I watched that TED Talk to say, hmm, I wonder if I would like this keynote. And you are so captivating you are a speed talker. You get more information in in a 45-minute period than anybody I've ever met. And, Thank you. you know, I, yeah, and I worked with kids, but what I loved was a lot of my colleagues don't. And you increase the passion within them because we all know if we're going to stop sex addiction epidemic and porn epidemic, it has to start with kids. That's where we need to intervene first. So, Gail Dines, thank you so much for Culture Refrain. Thank you for Pornland, How Porn Has Hijacked Our Sexuality. And, again, I'm challenging our listening audience to get on that course with me, and let's go through it together, and then we can talk about it on the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Dines.
2: Well, thank you so much. This was wonderful. I really appreciate the work that you do as well. Thank you.
0: Well, you're welcome. They say I'm the godmother of sexual addiction. I have the oldest show on the podcast unit, and I'm telling you, we have 600,000 open downloads a week. So this is something everybody wants to know more about, and I appreciate you contributing to that tonight. And I appreciate
2: the invitation, so thank you so much.
0: All right. Have a good one, and we'll talk to you soon. And
2: you. Take care. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. So
0: that was Dr. Gail Dines, and again, she wrote Pornland, How Porn Has Hijacked Our Sexuality, and she has made it her mission to advocate for children, and we've got to be able to do that. So thank you for listening tonight. Remember I said, even if you don't have kids or grandkids, you care about sexual addiction, you listen to this show, you're either a sex addict or you're a partner of a sex addict, and we got to work on this together because a lot of us know that sex addiction occurred when the man or woman that we loved was exposed to porn early in their development. And now what kids are exposed to is like the most violent, horrific pornography on steroids. And we've got to work together to get it stopped. I am Carol Jurgensen. She's A.K.A. And we will see you again next week for more Sex Health with Carol the Coach. And as I say at the end of every show, you know, there will only be one of you at all times. So fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. And you have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon.